Federko steals the puck from Reinhardt. Over to Hunter, who shoots block. Wickenheiser scores! Doug Wickenheiser! The Blues pull it off, and it's unbelievable! Why not, why not Bennington? Why, I, I mean, at least say why not Huso, right? So this is a bold-ass prediction. Blues are going to take the Central. Come on, St. Louis hockey fans, stand up and cheer. Are we like Ogilvorp? Are we suspended? This our year, it's the Blues' turn now. Yeah, it's the Blues' turn now. Great shoot! He can't get it by Belfour, they can on the rebound. Now the cross. Welcome to the last episode of the Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series of Let's Go Blues Radio. Thanks for joining me. For those of you who've listened to every episode, I appreciate it. I've had a lot of fun doing this. Uh, We'll get into the wrap-up of this series uh, later in the show. I know why people are tuning in. It's not to discuss this. This is Season 7, Episode 13, Franchise episode all-time of Let's Go Blues Radio, number 146. So as I've said, this is the last episode of the Talking Blues Summer Interview Series because we have hockey afoot. The preseason has begun in the NHL. Teams are skating against each other. This is what we're all waiting for, kind of. We're waiting for the season, but it's so close now. And, and I know that everyone's just as excited as the hosts of this show are. From the top of the show, I'll just mention the Blues open the preseason Monday night on September 18th. They lost to the Dallas Stars in Dallas 5-3. We will not be going over the game, so you don't need to worry about it, but I will say that uh, Jordan Cairo and Pat Maroon both scored. Uh, They're on a line with Ryan O'Reilly, who in, in training camp... That has been Tarasenko with Maroon and O'Reilly, which we'll get to a little later. Interesting that those two guys got on the score sheet tonight, so good for Jordan Cairo to to already kind of make a name for himself in the NHL. Also want to mention there's a guy on the Dallas Stars that scored named Roop Hints. You heard that right, folks. Roop Hints. I may not be saying that correctly, but it was worth noting because, my goodness, that is a wonderful name. St. Louis boy Ben Bishop, 16 saves on 16 shots, earned one of the stars of the game. Landon Bow, the other goalie for the stars, 19 saves on 22 shots. But nobody cares about that, right? We care about what the Blues goalies did. From what I can tell, Chad Johnson had a decent game, 15 saves on 16 shots. And then why not 
Jordan Biddington comes in and uh, allows three goals on eight shots. So it doesn't seem like a good showing for Biddington, but we'll never know because unless you were at the game, you don't know what those goals look like. So could be the, the, the nicest goals ever scored, but we'll never know. After looking at that stat line, you do have to ask, why not Bennington? And if you don't know why I'm asking that question, you're not listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. As I say every episode, I would ask that you please subscribe to our show on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, or Plex, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to us at letsgoblues.com slash radio. should also mention, if you just want to go to letsgobluesradio.com, that does uh, redirect to the proper page. So yeah, letsgobluesradio.com. Just go there. That's much easier. Uh, and if you are on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. That helps people find the show. The summer interview series is wrapping up, but our regular shows are coming back. So those are much better than, than hearing me talk all the time. Uh, Kurt and Bill add a nice little dynamic to the show. If you haven't heard them on the show before, if you're a new listener because you found us during the summer interview series, you're going to want to tune in for our regular shows uh, because we have a lot of fun. It's a it's a good time. We've, we're the longest-running blues podcast. We've been going since 2011, uh, and uh, we, as far as I know, are one of the higher-rated ones as well. So not to pat ourselves on the back here. Oh, man, I mentioned it in the interview later. Oh, I'm really going to seem like I'm patting myself on the back. If you're, this is the first episode you've ever heard with me, I don't do that often, I promise. But you're probably asking, why do you keep mentioning that? want to mention this one last time before we get into our regular shows next week. The Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament, named after my late father who lost his battle with leukemia in 2015. Uh, that will be going on Saturday, November 17th from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. with the bar staying open until 1 at uh, Midwest Sport Hockey right there inside Queenie Park. Uh, it benefits Be The Match and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So if uh, you are wanting to come and watch or play some bad hockey, come on out. We'd love to have you. And uh, as I've said every week, we've got raffles. We, we have uh, blues jerseys that we often have in the raffle. We've had tickets to blues and cardinals games. We also just had a, a random assortment of, of really cool items. So if you're looking for something to do on Saturday, November 17th, come out to Queenie Park, Midwest Sport Hockey, and uh, it's for a, all for a great cause. And, and again, uh, you know, it's uh, a fun time for anyone who has ever been to one before, you know. And we, we, we get a lot of, of people to come and just watch us play, which for a men's league guy like me, we don't get that a lot. So it's pretty cool uh, having a kind of a, a packed house, as they say, which it's not really packed, I guess. But for me, we're going to call it a packed house. It makes me feel better about my game. So our guest this week is Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and 101.1 ESPN, former Blues beat writer for St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's covered the St. Louis Blues for 14 years now. And uh, just we get into a lot, basically everything early in his career, uh, how he got into the Blues beat, where he grew up in St. Louis, because he is a St. Louis boy, and uh, we just we, we get into a lot of really fun stories, including one that a uh, little run-in he had with Dallas Drake when he first started covering the team, something he wrote incorrectly. He quoted 
uh, Drake incorrect, incorrectly, and yeah, it was uh, it's it's a great story and one of my favorites from him. He's he's told me it before. Uh, we got more obviously. Uh, we talked for about an hour and uh, just a lot of great stuff from Jeremy. Uh, if you've never listened to or read Jeremy before, he's a very insightful guy with the blues. Storied past, really, honestly, when you, when you think about it, with all he's done with writing a book about the blues. Second book coming out, uh, Bernie Federko's kind of memoirs, I guess, uh, will be coming out, and Jeremy was a big part of that. And uh, yeah, just a, a, a great guy. If you've never heard or read Jeremy before, wonderful stuff. So uh, really look forward to having him on. That's why I waited to the last episode, because he has some great insight on the Blues and training camp, and obviously he's there every day, so we get into that. So uh, without further ado, here we go. The last interview of the Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series. This is Jeff of Let's Go Blues Radio, and today on our Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series... I'm joined by the St. Louis Blues beat writer for The Athletic. I don't know if you really consider it a beat writer, but the writer for the St. Louis Blues, uh, former beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's the author of 100 Things Blues Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and he's the Blues Insider for 101 FM ESPN Radio. He's covered the Blues for 14 seasons, and he is Jeremy Rutherford. Jeremy, thank you for joining me. Very good to be with you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you for a bit about the Blues. Of course, of course. And, and it's, a, it's a pleasure for us to have you on our last episode of the Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series. So I know this is a thrill for you, of course. Big time, big time. Yeah, I've heard you've had some pretty good guests, so uh, <laughs> I'm in good company here. We've had some good and some bad ones. And <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, So I wanted to ask you, because you know people may not know that you're a St. Louis native, uh, in what area of St. Louis did you grow up in? I kind of bounced around. Uh, I uh, spent some time in the South St. Louis area over by, I always describe it as over by Ted Drew's. I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing when I say that because uh, I spent quite a few afternoons at Ted Drew's and built this body frame that you see now <laughs> on the uh, on the concretes over there. Uh, but then I've also spent some time in, in Jefferson County and that's where I live now. I, I really like it out here, uh, 20 minutes south of the rink, and, uh, you know, good people. I always say that uh, out here in Jefferson County, you know, if the neighbors find out you're sick or, or uh, you know, needing some help, they're there to cut your grass. They're knocking on your door uh, with a cake when it's your kid's birthday and stuff like that. So good people out here in Jefferson County. But, yeah, I've bounced, uh, bounced back and forth a little bit between South St. Louis and the county. So this is obviously a big sports town, and, and a lot of people are probably like you at a young age and say, I want to write about sports, I want to broadcast sports. Uh, when did you realize that this was uh, the career path for you? Well, I knew a, a couple things. I knew that I wanted to be in sports, and that's like a lot of kids uh, growing up wherever, you know, especially in St. Louis, uh, fans of the Cardinals, fans of the St. Louis Blues. And, uh, you know, I think it was in grade school, maybe seventh, eighth grade, I really took a liking to English and writing and, and grammar. Uh, I was still playing baseball at the time, and, and a story um, that comes to mind is I was playing for a baseball team. I stepped into the box. I'm ready for, uh, you know, to, to rip one out of the park. And uh, I get a nice, solid single up the middle, you know, grazes by the pitcher over the second base uh, out to the center fielder. 
And as I'm taking my first or last stride to uh, to first base, you know, to to come up with big single, I hear the first baseman's glove snap, and I didn't know what happened. But what happened was the center fielder saw that I didn't have any speed and decided he'd throw me out at first base. So uh, <laughs> as I'm as I'm running back to the dugout and taking uh, some pretty good jabs from my teammates about being so slow, I figure, you know what, sports isn't going to be for me if I'm going to be in this. Uh, I'm gonna, I better learn how to write. So that's what I did. And, and uh, you know, one day I was living with my grandparents at the time, Jeff, and I came home and uh, my grandma said, hey, if you know what you want to do, you should get into that field as soon as possible. I heard an interview on the radio today and on KMOX, and the guy, uh, an expert in, you know, uh, the, the the field of trying to get people motivated to get into the profession, the industry that they'd like to eventually pursue. He said, uh, you, you can never start young enough. So the next day, I called the St. Louis Post Dispatch. And I said, I'd be interested in, in writing. And they said, how old are you? And I said, I think I was 17 at the time. And they basically hung up on me. They did. They uh, they said, sir, you're too young. And uh, then I started working for the Suburban Journals. I called them, and, and they had an opportunity to write about Little League Baseball. And I caught the luckiest, biggest break of a lifetime. I uh, went to cover a Little League Baseball game, and uh, the coach was none other than the assistant sports editor of the Post-Dispatch. And uh, he said, how long you been doing this? I said, just a few months. And he said, why don't you come down and uh, we'll talk to you about uh, covering high school sports for us. So I did that in 1994. 1998, I got on the staff at the Post-Dispatch and covered uh, high school sports, college sports, and then took over the Blues. So uh, a big break. You know, I always, you know, thank God and count my blessings uh, for that day running into the Post-Dispatch Sports Editor. It's led to uh, quite a fun run covering the Blues. I was going to ask you what college you went to, but then I realized St. Louis would be angry with me if I didn't ask what high school you went to first. <laughs> you know, the answer to that question, uh, Lutheran South. I uh, went to Lutheran South over off of uh, Tesson Ferry. And like I uh, explained earlier with uh, my baseball and, and <laughs> not, not the uh, quickest uh, baseball player, I, I wasn't very good at the other sports I played either. But uh, so Lutheran South uh, definitely didn't recruit me. <laughs> they they probably tried to cut me a few times off their uh, sports teams, but but yeah, that's where I went. And then I went to uh, University of Missouri St. Louis. You know, I I wanted to go to Mizzou, great journalism school. A lot of my friends were going uh, to Mizzou, but once the opportunity opened at the Post Dispatch to cover high school sports, I just told myself, you know what, go to UMSL, and uh, and we'll see what happens. And you know, it turned out to to work out pretty well. Do you uh, study English at UMSL? No, they had a communication degree at the time. We're going back to the mid-1990s, uh, a communication degree with emphasis in journalism. The funny part was, a you know, quick story, is you know how it was back in the college days, those books were so outdated, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I was a couple years into working at the Post, and you know, I knew what editors were wanting. I knew what it was like to interview coaches and players. And so anyway, these books must have been 10 or 15 years old, and you know, I had a couple teachers who were saying, hey, this is how it's going to be in journalism when you get out there. And I'm looking at the teacher going, no, it's not. <laughs> you know? So I was already kind of getting my feet wet in journalism and, you know, books were a little old. So uh, kind of funny to already be out in the field seeing uh, seeing what the teachers were trying to teach you it was going to be like. Man, UMSL's changed so much just in the time I've been there. I, I imagine in your time 
it's changed a lot. Have you been there uh, any time recently? No, not too recently. I do catch up with, uh, you know, a couple of the old professors every once in a while. And, you know, I think Frank Cusimano, he's an UMSL grad, so I've uh, talked to him about it. So, uh, but it's beautiful. I've driven by the campus a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. It's changed a lot since uh, I went there, like I said, back in the 90s. Uh, so you, uh, again, you went to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You, you were there for 20-plus years. You mentioned that uh, you started covering high school and college sports for them. Do you remember the first story you ever wrote for them? I do. I do. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you say that because, uh, well, let me tell you the story first. It was about a Eureka wide receiver. I, I believe his name was uh, Wayne Ross. I hope I got that right. And uh, I'll never forget the butterflies in my stomach the night before the story ran. So I'm living at my grandma and grandpa's in South St. Louis. I've turned in my story. They've edited it. They've told me that it's going to be in the paper the next day. And I just can't sleep. It's, you know, you're, you're excited about the article. You're worried about a mistake in print. And I'll never forget. It was one of those old paper machines, uh, you know, that you put the coins in to get the paper out. Well, I knew that I wanted to get, you know, five or ten copies. But I wasn't just going to go put 50 cents in the machine and pull out ten copies. So I literally had a handful, a bag full of change and went to the uh, Grandpa Pigeons. They had the post-dispatch machine out front. And I put 50 cents in, pulled the paper out closed it, put 50 cents in, pulled a paper out, closed it, and just did that time after time. And this lady walked by me, and you should have seen the look, Jeff. She gave me, she said, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? But, you know, I got my 10 newspapers and took them home, and I still have a couple today uh, up in the closet. But the reason I say it's funny that you ask is because when I had my uh, uh, quote-unquote going away party at the post dispatch you know a few people across the street from the post uh, drinking some adult beverages uh, ben hockman uh he's a good friend and a great columnist at the post he actually looked up my first story uh which it was that eureka wide receiver and uh, had it printed up and brought that to the party and gave it to me as a keepsake so that was uh, super nice of benjamin that's really cool yeah that's uh, something you're going to cherish the rest of your life i would imagine yeah um so uh I know that you were mostly a football guy, and obviously you, you've talked about your love for baseball, too. Um, after you got out of high school and college, did you jump right into the Blues, or were you covering a little Cardinals or Rams? Well, it was a little bit of uh, Rams around the Super Bowl time when you know they were really good. I, I was like one of like 30 reporters that went to Atlanta for the Rams Super Bowl. Um, and then also I had covered some Cardinals. You know, you're low, low man on the totem pole. You go over there, and you know I was just in awe of uh, Rick Hummel and you know later Joe Strauss, Derek Gould, Bernie Miklas, uh, Brian Burwell, and, and and so you know you were the high school and then the University of Illinois beat writer at the time and and you know you're just taking opportunities to cover the pro sports whenever you can and what happened was i think Derek gould when he came to the post he always had his eye on uh on the cardinal beat you know he i think he made it known that uh, he'd like to be a baseball writer one day at the post dispatch covering the cardinals well one day that uh, opportunity came for him and he was covering the blues at the time uh so he he made the switch he went from blues to cardinals and that opened up the the blues and i'll never forget uh the editor larry starks and the assistant editor roger hensley called me and said hey we want to go out to lunch and talk to you about possibly covering the blues and i was just uh, ecstatic in fact uh at the time i was covering university of illinois that's a three-hour drive one way to the campus from my house and now i'm thinking i i just get to drive to uh to scott 
Trade Center. Obviously, it was called at the time, and I, I think I just let out a big shriek. I'm so excited. You know, I grew up in St. Louis, and now here I am covering uh, the hockey team, the Blues that I've followed for a long time. So that was that was a pretty big uh, opportunity, and, and uh, I'm very thankful that it happened. High school, college sports, football, baseball, you move on to hockey again. 2005 was when you took this over. What was that? transition like and and how closely did you pay attention to other nhl writers before you got started yeah you know it was a hard transition and you know i'm just going to be upfront and honest with you i've always uh, been that way about this topic is uh, i never played hockey and uh, i think that puts you at a little bit of a, a disadvantage when you're covering a sport um, but, you know, there are a number of hockey writers that, that never played the sport. It was just expensive when I was growing up uh, in the 80s, and my parents, you know, didn't put me in hockey, but I followed it. I mean, I vividly remember watching the Monday Night Miracle. Uh, I often went over to Brentwood Ice Rink and sat in the bleachers and watched the Blues practice. I got autographs when I was a, a kid. I think for my 21st birthday, my mom bought me a Wayne Gretzky uh, jersey. Um, you know, I was a, a fan, you know, let's just be honest. I was a fan. Um, but then you get the job and you have to cut the cord. You really do. And some people think that that might be, uh, hard, um, uh, but it wasn't, it really wasn't. Uh, once you get in there and you're working behind the scenes and it becomes a, a job, uh, you know, it, it's different. The one analogy, uh, maybe not an analogy, but an example uh, that I'll use here is I'll never forget walking into the, Detroit Red Wings visiting locker room and uh, Sergei Fedorov was playing at the time and uh, I was just in awe I can't believe this is Fedorov I'm looking down at his shoes they got to be about 1500 bucks right and uh, you know that that took probably a couple months to get over but then you realize that listen I don't care if this is Gretzky Fedorov Shanahan Brad Hall whoever it is I just need some comments from them, and I need to get back up to my computer laptop and put their comments in the story and beat the deadline, or I'm not going to have a job. Right. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta beat the deadline. So you know, I think uh, y- you know your fan, your uh, you're you know, being in awe. I think that leaves you quickly, and, and you realize you have to produce and and be a uh, and, and be a good journalist. But you know. Uh, there was a situation where my ignorance uh, did kind of catch up with me. I'll never forget this. Uh, talking about deadline, I had to run down to the Blues locker room after a game one night, and I only had a couple minutes. I mean, people don't realize. You, you read the paper the next morning. You don't realize what a time crunch those writers are in. And you get down to the locker room, sometimes you literally have less than five minutes to hurry up and grab a quick quote and then run back to your laptop and, and punch it in. And uh, I'll never forget, it was a Blues-Blackhawks game. It was 3-2, uh, 3-3, 4-3, 4-4. You know, whenever a team took the lead, the other team come, came back and tied it. And I think it ended 6-5 Blues. And I stuck my recorder into a scrum. You know, that's what we call a group of reporters, um, you know, interviewing a player at the same time. And Dallas Drake said what I what I thought he said was that it was a pawn hockey game, P A W N, and and I was like, okay, he's comparing it to a chess match. Well, you know, I didn't grow up in Canada, I didn't grow up playing hockey, but as you can probably already guess, he definitely said pond hockey game, P O N D. It's like a game uh, that they played growing up on the pond, where it's back and forth, high scoring. And uh, But I put pawn, P-A-W-N, in the newspaper, and I'll never forget walking into the Blues locker room the next day and 
I didn't know I'd made a mistake at that point, so it was news to me when I walked in and Dallas Drake looked at me and said, you're an idiot, Rutherford. So <laughs> so I took some lumps over the years, but, uh, you know, like I said, if you do your homework, you study the game, you talk to the players, you build relationships, you know, I think somebody who didn't play uh, can still come a long way and uh, and be able to write about it. You know, not just hockey, but uh, a lot of sports, a lot of different things that uh, writers are able to cover that maybe they didn't have that long time, lifetime expertise in. Man, that, that's one of my favorite stories. You told me that one before, and I love hearing it. So thank you for sharing that. I'm sure people are going to love hearing that one. Uh, so you started covering the team kind of after the glory years of Pronger, McKinnis, even Brett Hull, uh, Turgeon, all those guys are gone. Um, you know, McKinnis jumps up into the uh, into, into management, and, you know, the Eric Brewer, the Barrett-Jackman years that, uh, that people – don't really remember too fondly. Um, do you think that was difficult for you stepping into that position as someone who had never covered the sport before, or would it have mattered for somebody who uh, was taking over the beat in St. Louis? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a couple reasons uh, it helped. One is I don't think that I would have gotten the job, the promotion to cover the Blues, had we been talking about a Stanley Cup contender. I think at the time, when I took over, you're talking about Bill and Nancy Laurie selling the team. You're talking about uh, them stripping the roster to sell the organization. So they, they dealt uh, Chris Pronger. That was one of my first stories on the beat. Like uh, 11 o'clock at night, they, they're trading Chris Pronger to Edmonton. I remember uh, roping Derek Gould in. He was calling Chris Pronger on the phone. I was writing the details of the trade. Um, so that was definitely a, a downtime. But, you know, with the post-dispatch, it bumped me up to the Blues, you know, if, if they had a Stanley Cup contending team. You know, a guy who uh, really didn't know how to cover hockey, I, I doubt it. So I think that was a key. And then also, like I just said a few minutes ago, you know, learning the game. Those were some lean years. There weren't too many people in the seats they had a lot of young kids playing with the Oshies and the Berglunds and, and the Prawns and so I got I kind of got to grow up you know in the sport even though I had been following it a long time as a fan you know now I'm I got my reporter hat on and I feel like I was able to grow up and just kind of learn on the fly and a little bit less pressure when not as many people are paying attention so I guess you could look at it uh, both ways pretty difficult because you know a lot of losses that you were writing about but I think uh for the reasons that I just mentioned, it probably helped me out. Uh, so going into the locker room then, when, uh, again, you probably have less reporters, I would imagine, on the beat, um, and then uh, just compared to now, how it's just blown up and, you know, everybody's a writer on, on Twitter and Facebook, and some <laughs> of those people are getting into the locker room now. Um, how different is it uh, from those years compared to now? Are you saying there's experts on Twitter? No, I would never say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It has changed just crazy. Um, you know, I, I talk about this a lot with friends. You know, they ask what it's like. And, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, it, it was different for this reason. Um, there were only a few of us. Honestly, there were only a handful of media in there. Uh, I think because social media wasn't uh, popular at the time, you could gain the trust of the athletes a little bit better because if you sat down at their stall and you had a conversation with them, first of all, it started off with, you know, hey, Big Walt, how are you doing? 
you know, he's asking how your, your, your wife and, you know, how's the summer going and things like that. So you, they were people and you talked to them like that and you had conversations that weren't always about hockey and they knew that they could talk to you and you were going to take your recorder home and take your time and write a well-balanced story and, you know, call some other sources and people who could give you some information. And, and then the story would appear in the next day's paper. And you know, a lot of times the players were reading the paper. And, and so anyway, they got a feel for the type of work you did. Well, now it's completely different. Now you have, you could have 10 or 12 media members around a fourth liner after practice and those players don't really get to know uh the media because a lot of these media just come and go one day they might be at cardinals the next day they're at the blues the next day they're covering a race over at gateway and you know the media has been kind of spread thin so they bounce around a lot so so there's a lot of them that don't get to develop that kind of relationship and then the other thing jeff is you know if a player says something uh these reporters turn around and and they tweet it and you know do they have it in the right context did they hear it correctly uh will the followers that they have read it exactly like they intended you know i'll give you one quick example Uh, there couldn't be a nicer guy in that blues locker room than colton pareko and uh, when he signed his new contract we were interviewing him and somebody asked the question have you been able to uh, buy anything with this uh, new contract is there uh, something out there that you'd really like to to have and uh he made a comment along the lines of oh maybe i don't know probably just a ferrari or something like that you know and and it it seemed like he was minimizing what a ferrari was well you know six people turn around and tweet that and all of a sudden colton pareko's getting you know beat up on social media because he sounds ungrateful uh that he has to just have a ferrari and and so anyway uh you know players they see that they see what happens with the things they say and they just decide, you know what, it's not even worth it to say something. So you kind of lose the color, you lose the the uh, the human side of it, you lose uh, the, the the type of personality they might have, and and to me that's kind of unfortunate. So, you know, I know there's a number of reporters like myself, uh, Luke Korak, Andy Strickland, that have been around for a while, and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we can go in there and they know we've been doing it for a while and, and we're not going to turn around and tweet something that's going to get out of hand. So, uh, you know, I think for having that experience, having that background, being in the locker room for a number of years, having a little bit of that respect, I think helps out uh, and gets you through these times that have really, really changed. So in that time, you've also started doing some radio work. Was that something you always considered doing or is that something that uh, kind of over the years has said, okay, Jeremy, it's time to uh, kind of expand what you're doing to build your base? Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, there's another area where things have really changed. I mean, when I was at UMSL and I was learning how to, uh, you know, to, to be a reporter, and, uh, you know, I just had my eye on newspaper. That was it. I mean, we weren't even thinking Internet at the time, even though it was probably coming about. And I certainly wasn't thinking about radio or, for sure, TV, you know, face for radio I got. But, um <laughs> You know, it's just part of it. Like media has become where you have to do a little bit of everything. So I'm just telling you, like when I'm 
22, 23, 24 years old to think that you're going to be doing weekly radio hits and you're going to have a, a radio show, which we had, you know, for a couple of years at 101. And, you know, the, the local news affiliates might ask you to do a quick TV stand up spot. And, you know, it, it's just not in your thinking. So, um, you know, over the years, I've just had to kind of adapt and and learn that, uh, hey, just have a conversation with people just pass along the information do it in a way that they can uh understand it you know don't take yourself uh, too seriously and and just uh, give the fans what they want so you know a lot of times you hang up after a radio hit on 101 or you ha- you finish off a little 30 second tv spot and you're kind of kicking yourself because you didn't get the words out the way you wanted but <laughs> it's just you know this isn't something i planned on doing when i was growing up yeah, I approach this podcast saying, okay, you're going to approach this like radio, no edits, just go right through. And then afterwards I think, man, this is a podcast. You need to edit some of the things you say. So I, I hear you. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to have to get some uh, pointers from you because I think we're going to try to get the uh, get a podcast up and running this uh, season at the Athletics. So I'll have to call you and, and get some pointers, Jeff. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd, I'd be more than happy to help you out. We, uh, we're the longest-running blues podcast, not to pat myself on the back, but uh, we we're oh, actually the awesome. originals too. So, yeah, we'd be – I know my, not just myself, my co-host, we'd all be happy to help you out. We, we appreciate the competition. <laughs> I appreciate it. We, we figure that means more Blues coverage, which is why we started doing this in the first place. No, thanks, thanks. Uh, yeah, if, uh, we'll have to have you on as a guest. We'll turn the tables here. Sounds fun. Sounds good to me. Uh, so uh, speaking of transitioning and, and, you know, how we talked about your radio work and now you're talking about a podcast, the biggest transition for you lately was from when you were doing the morning skate and the gamers that, game stories for those who don't know what those are um with uh the post dispatch now you're more of an insider for the athletic you made that switch last year about about 12 months ago now um why the move and and uh, are you enjoying the newer role yeah you know i always look at it like um when i went to the athletic first of all i went there because of the opportunity to write good stories and i'll get to 101 here in a second but um you know at the post dispatch i loved it it was a dream job i mean are you kidding me growing up in st louis and, you know you want to write for the post dispatch and you cover a team that you followed you know, that was a dream job um you know i started covering the blues i was in my 20s i didn't have kids and and uh, you know going out of town to the different cities it was a blast you know i i wouldn't trade any of those days uh, for anything but then we had a couple kids and uh you know, you're missing birthdays. I'll never forget my son, who's five now, uh, his first birthday. Back here in St. Louis, they were uh, they had a cake, and, and they put the candles in it, and they were lighting it up for him. And I was in the press box at Madison Square Garden, and I was on Skype singing happy birthday to my son for his first birthday. So, you know, situations like that catch up with you after a while. And you realize that, uh, hey, I'm not uh, going to get these years back. And then the athletic comes along, Jeff, and uh, they say, hey, look, we don't want the daily grind. We don't want the practice updates. We don't even want game stories. We just want you to be able to uh, find good stories that people want to read and take your time on them. If they take a couple days uh, to put together, then, then so be it, just as long as when they come out, uh, you know, they knock people's socks off. And I feel like we've been able to do those types of stories at The Athletic. I'll just use one for an example. Um, because I wasn't in a rush, because I wasn't, you know, on a deadline, I sat down with Alex Petrangelo last year, 
And uh, during the course of an hour-long conversation, which would be very tough to have an hour-long conversation if you were, you know, on a beat and you had a notebook and a blog and that type of stuff to do, uh, Alex Petrangelo said that he and his wife had a couple miscarriages. And, you know, it was a touchy situation asking him questions about that, but he opened up and he wanted uh, to let people know, uh, people out there who've had miscarriages, that it's, it's you know, it's okay and, you know, you can find some strength in each other. So that's the type of story um, that we're looking for. Maybe not always that intrusive into somebody's life, but again, Alex was willing to open up. And when I wrote that story, I couldn't believe it. The comment section lit up like a Christmas tree, people saying uh, they've also gone through uh, miscarriage uh, situations and they couldn't believe that Alex would come out and talk about it like he was hoping uh, everybody gained some strength. So um, you might not get that type of material, those topics all the time, but uh, we're just looking for pieces that that people can read and now I'm able to uh, spend a lot more time on those. And then, you know, as far as uh, one-on-one goes, uh, like I was saying a minute ago, you never anticipate that that's what you're going to be doing, you know, years ago. But, um, you know, when one-on-one called and said, hey, we'd like you to uh, to do uh, our blues updates, I couldn't have been more excited. I was thrilled. Uh, you know, the one thing that, that people, you know, and I'm not saying they should understand, realize, um, but when you're a beat writer of a professional sports team in 2000. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you wake up to seven radio requests a day. I mean, you wake up to, you know, Winnipeg radio wants you for 10 minutes and, you know, Toronto radio wants you for 10 minutes and, you know, a couple stations in St. Louis. And so I'm not complaining whatsoever, you know, for them to, uh, you know, want to talk to you about the blues. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's exciting. Um, but, you know, you better be ready to manage your time and do as many of them as you can, you know, trying to help out fellow media members, but at the same time, you can't do them all. So, um, you know, I'm just happy for my home at 101. I feel like it's a family over there. I feel like, uh, you know, if there's blues news, you know, I can't wait to let the listeners over there, uh, know about it. So anyway, that's kind of long winded answer there, but, uh, between the athletic and 101 right now, I just really feel like that those are two good outlets to do what I want to do. So again, it's a, it's a major change in reporting for you and, and your lifestyle, but uh, how has it affected your relationship? You kind of mentioned your, your relationship with the players, but with management, coaches, has it changed at all in, in this year for you? Yeah, a little bit, uh, to be honest. And, you know, some people might think, you know, because I've heard this before, that that was the intention or that's the uh, athletics MO, you know, is to to stir it up or maybe write uh, some articles that are a lot more critical. And, you know, I've even heard the term clickbait with some of the athletic stuff, and I just don't get it because it's the opposite of clickbait. You know, it's a subscriber-based website. And I don't get measured on clicks. I mean, I could write whatever, and it doesn't matter if two people click on it or 3,000 people click on it. Uh, You know, we have people that we're trying to provide good stories to, and and, and we hope that they'll read them, but uh, they read them anyway because uh, they're paying for it. So, uh, you know, clickbait, that doesn't seem to make sense with me. But the the one thing that, uh, you know, I'll say about this is I think you have an obligation as somebody who's around the team every day to tell it 
how you see it. And I think when I was at the newspaper, I was so caught up in the quantity because, you know, you couldn't sit there and take the time, I don't think, to tell it like you saw it because then you had a notebook and a chat and a blog and a video to do. So you were just trying to, you know, the, the hamster wheel, just keep going, just keep going. But now at The Athletic, where I can take a deep breath and I can see the situation for what it is and I can tell myself, I'd really like to write a story about this. You can do the homework. You can you can support your criticism or, you know, if, if you're writing something really good about the team, you can support that too. Uh, but But I feel like... The combination of being at the athletic, where I've got more time to analyze and 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 be as accurate as possible with my writing, um, and also as I've gotten older, Jeff, I think that I don't care what people think or say about me. I think when you're a young reporter, 25, 26, 27, you know, 30 years old, oh, I can't write that because then I, you know, you go in the locker room tomorrow and maybe that guy might not do an interview with you and, you know, so on and so forth. I'm just being honest with you. You have those thoughts and I'm sure a lot of reporters do. Um, but now at The Athletic, with the, the platform I've got, being a little bit older, I'm 43 years old now, hey, look, you're a paid professional athlete. You know, you've got to put yourself in a position to succeed off the ice and you've got to perform on the ice. And there are people who are paying a good chunk of their salary for season tickets or their 60 inch TV or their, you know, their, their, their cable or whatever they want to turn on and become a fan and watch you. And they want to, they want answers to these questions. And to me, it doesn't do anybody any good if I'm sugarcoating stuff or letting people off the hook. And, you know, I'm making this whole conversation, you know, about writing critically. But, again, I can't stress enough. We write a lot of positive stuff, too. So good or bad, I just feel like, uh, you know, if you're going to subscribe to The Athletic or you're going to turn on your radio and listen to 101, you should hear what's actually going on on the ice, in the locker room, whatever, with the team that I'm covering. Are you finding more time with your family under your new position? Or, um, well, I say new, but it's been about a year now. Uh, or is it, it proving to be just as challenging as before? Well, I think you still spend a lot of time. I mean, when I left the Post-Dispatch, I did make a couple you know, comments in my chat and on Twitter about being able to spend more time with family. And for sure, that's, that's definitely the case. You kind of, I don't want to say make your own hours, because you still spend a ton of time at practice and writing stories and on the phone and, and calling people, but you kind of, without a deadline, you kind of set your own windows when you're going to make those calls and when you're going to write. Like, so for example, if I go to practice this morning, like I did, and I've got an article and a notebook for the post-dispatch, you know, I need to be cranking on that right now. Uh, you know, that's got to be turned in five, six, seven o'clock at night. So it can be in the next day's paper. Whereas with my situation now, it gives me time. I'm talking to you this afternoon. I'm going to go pick up my kids from school uh, in just a bit. And then, uh, you know, tonight, get the kids uh, their dinner, their bath, and work on stories until uh, midnight, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, some days I'm working during the day. Sometimes I'm working at night. But it does allow you to a uh, little flexibility with the athletic. And, and so thus, uh, yeah, more time with uh, the family. 
So kind of want to get into a little bit more of the blues talk here to, to close up our conversation because that's probably what a lot of people are wanting to hear anyway. Um, so camp opened over the weekend, and uh, you have uh, obviously been there uh, pretty much every day from what I understand and what I've seen in your Twitter. Um, what, what, what's the, the biggest trend that you're noticing? What are you watching when you're there? You know, I'm keeping an eye, like I always do, on, uh, you know, which players stand out. But also, just uh, especially now, you know, we talked a lot the last uh, few minutes about uh, writing at The Athletic. You know, what, what stories are there? What, what what can I tell readers that they might not read somewhere else? Um, so, you know, looking at the players, this is a good team. As you know, uh, Doug Armstrong did a great job, I feel. Uh, changing the complexion, the look of this team this offseason, while he was able to keep a guy like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, to think that the Blues would have, you know, O'Reilly, Bozak, uh, Perron, Maroon, and not give up one of those top two guys, I just think was uh, really impressive uh, of uh, Doug Armstrong. So, you know, I think there's a good vibe down there right now. I do sense that. Listening to O'Reilly talk, and listening to a couple of the other new guys, um, they, it's funny, they say that uh, the leadership and and uh, kind of the winning attitude is something that they've noticed. And, you know, if you've been a St. Louis Blues fan for the past couple of years, that's what kind of has been in question, is the Blues leadership, is, you know, that culture, is that attitude. So was Doug Armstrong, was he uh, able to change that? By bringing in the, the, these players that he brought in, was he able to change that overnight? You know, I think it's too early to say that. I think uh, there's 31 teams around the league right now that probably are bouncing around the locker room, you know, really excited, ready to get things going. Hey, look, this team's got to get a couple months into the season, face some adversity, and, you know, then we'll see if these guys have really stepped up and become uh, good leaders. But, you know, you're asking about what have you seen in camp so far, and, you know, outside of, you know, some of the guys who have looked really, really good, like a Robert Thomas, like a Jordan Cairo, I think it's I think it's that atmosphere. It does seem to have a bit of a freshness to it this year. Again, have to emphasize it's early, early, early. Um, but uh, you walk in there and it does feel different than last season. So you mentioned uh, one of the Blues' most recent acquisitions in Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, something that has been said about him a lot is his work ethic and uh, something that uh, players have always envied about him. He's a guy that comes on the rink first, leaves last, and, and stays on for a half hour after practice. You wrote about it recently as one of your most recent articles. Um, what have, what exactly have you noticed in him that shows that he's such a hard worker? Well, you know, you heard uh, you heard stuff like that when he was in Colorado and, and Buffalo. Uh, you know, I heard about these O'Reilly practices, is what some people have referred to him. Uh, as uh, so after the team practice in Buffalo, you know, he'd stay out there uh, for a pretty long time. And, you know, there are guys around the league that do that. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of these guys, you know, they, they spend so much time at the rink, whether it be meetings and, you know, training room and, and, and practice that, hey, when practice is over, it's not wrong that they want to leave and get out of there. And a lot of them do. Uh, but I know that a couple days ago when I was trying to uh, interview O'Reilly for the story, 
you know, I thought maybe I missed him. But you know what? He was still out on the ice, and he was going through an extra uh, session uh, just on his own. Uh, and he kept uh, – he didn't keep uh, – he, he uh, you know, Robert Thomas, a couple of the young guys were out there. He didn't make him stay. They wanted to stay and learn from him. Um, but when you looked at, at O'Reilly's day there, he had a scrimmage, which was probably about an hour long, Jeff. Then they had a team practice – you know, maybe you're looking at another 45 minutes or an hour. And then he was out there on his own another half hour, 45 minutes for that extra session. So uh, I thought I missed him, but he came in the locker room and uh, I said, hey, can I chat with you for a couple minutes? And he said, no problem. I'll give you all the time you need, but let me get these skates off. My feet are burning. <laughs> so he was out there uh, for quite a long time. I do think uh, that that worked ethic uh will rub off on these guys i've already had conversations with uh, robert thomas and he said man i'm out there with ryan o'reilly giving me tips on the face-off circle this is unreal that's great that's good to hear so, so another thing with o'reilly is uh the line combination that it seems like yo wants has been maroon and tarasenko with uh o'reilly as the uh, pivot there um early in camp i think it was there was no question that that line was a little bit out of sync but from what you've seen uh, with it being the today being the fourth day uh, since camp opened, how do they look and how has the line progressed? Yeah, you know that first day it was a little rough. Uh, Mike Yo even admitted that afterwards. He said that he felt like you know they weren't really there to support each other. But hey, that was to be expected. That was the uh, first time they had played together in a quote unquote game situation. They only had a few practices. You know, Ryan O'Reilly got to St. Louis you know a little bit later than some players, and Tarasenko obviously he's dealing with you know, the shoulder rehab and, and getting back into the flow of things. So they only had a couple shinny practices. Another word that I learned over the years on Jeff. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, and uh, so they only had a couple uh, times on the ice together before that scrimmage game. And it looked a little rough, but you know, day two, uh, Tarasenko had the goal uh, set up by O'Reilly and, and all the parties, the coach, you know, the players felt like a uh, little bit more chemistry. Again, you're talking about 48 hours. Uh, the last day or so, they haven't been together. Um, they wanted to get a look at Jordan Cairo up there with Maroon and O'Reilly because that's who's going to be on the line uh, in their exhibition game. So um, they, they moved Tarasenko off that line. I think that's just a training camp thing to get that look at, at Cairo. I think if everything goes as planned, you'll still see uh, Maroon, O'Reilly, and Tarasenko for night one, October 4 against Winnipeg. So what are your other most recent stories? And honestly, it was one of my favorites that you've written in the many years you've covered the Blues was on Jordan Cairo. Uh, you talked of his character a lot. You interviewed a lot of his family. Um, did you get the same impression from him when you, when in the times you've spoken with him, that his family relayed to you? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of character there, and you know, I find that to be the case with a lot of hockey players. You know, it just seems like uh, the upbringing that they had. It's always a hardworking. Uh, family, uh, in most cases, and you know, I, I'm not saying that baseball and, and football players know from age 10 that they're going to be in Major League Baseball or the NFL. You know, I, I realize that they work hard too, and you know, they, they don't take it for granted. But it just seems like your your typical hockey player, even at 14, 15, 16, 17, they they have no idea they're going to play uh in the nhl but they keep uh, working hard and, and the family supports them and and then one day here you find them in a blues locker room and and the case with jordan Cairo, you know i appreciate the comment on the story you know people have to understand that you call these family members not knowing 
anything about the family history. You just, it's, you dial the phone, they answer, you explain who you are. Uh, they say, hey, th- I say, hey, I'm doing a story on your uh, son, Jordan Cairo, or your grandson, Jordan Cairo. And you just have a conversation for an hour and find out more about him. And, and Jordan Cairo, it's, it was an amazing thing to listen to. Uh, you're talking about two people his grandparents who came from Greece when they were 14 and 18 didn't know each other met in Toronto when their parents put them in classes to learn how to speak English they get married at you know at a young age they have a couple children one of those children is Aki Kairu that's Jordan's dad he doesn't get going in organized hockey until age 11 but he liked it so much and actually uh, was a pretty good player that when Jordan's born, he got him going in hockey. And, uh, you know, the family is just a hardworking, uh, supportive of each other type of family. And so they've done everything they've can't, they've, they've could to put Jordan in a position, you know, playing organized hockey at an early age, uh, to, to be where he is today. So he gets drafted second round, uh, by the Blues. He's one of the best skaters, I think, uh, prospect wise in the league and now he's got a chance to make this uh, blues hockey team and it's all because of uh you know how his family was able to kind of support him growing up and 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 those are the fun stories to write so i appreciate you bringing that one up of course uh does he seem to be getting along with the teammates in the locker room or is he kind of the rookie that's uh still off in the corner right now yeah, you know, it's training camp, so there's a lot of young players around, so I don't think, you know, you look at Jordan and it doesn't really stick out that, you know, hey, here's this uh, lone young guy. You know, you got the Robert Thomas and the Clem Costin and, and all these guys. So, hey, you know, what it comes down to uh, in pro sports is can you play? And Jordan Kyrie can play. So he's already got, I think, a good chunk of, of respect from the veteran players around. I mean, you look at that playing on a line with O'Reilly and Maroon, you kidding me you know his eyes are are wide uh, these days he's excited he said yesterday we talked to him he said hey this is exciting but believe me it's nerve-wracking too so um you know i've seen it for 14 years you mentioned you know 14 years covering the blues i remember david backus coming in weighing 180 pounds and skinny and wide-eyed and getting a chance to play with uh veteran players keith kachuk and, and dallas drake and those guys so uh, you know it's part of the deal but these guys uh, they come in and it just seems like <clears throat> as the years go by it just seems like they're more ready for it more prepared these young kids today and i think jordan Cairo is definitely one of those so another story that came up on the athletic uh one of your colleagues and and i'm going to totally butcher his name here but i'm going to go for it <laughs> dom lucision uh let's call him dom l uh oh, he wrote up there Oh, yeah. (laughs) He wrote uh, the 2018-19 NHL season preview, the St. Louis Blues. I thought this was one of the more honest uh, season previews for the Blues that we've seen. And uh, obviously you weighed in on it. But one of the big things that he talked about was the Blues are less rested than opponents 10 more times than when they are rested, than when they're the more rested team. And then uh, four games... Uh, will be their sixth in nine days. That they've got a lot of weird schedule quirks. Uh, how much of a toll do you think that's going to take on the team throughout the season? Yeah, wasn't that pretty interesting? That part of the article caught my attention too, because you know we look at the schedule and we see it's pretty rough, but we assume that it's rough for everybody. But sometimes it does shake out where uh, you know certain teams 
uh, get it a little uh, get it a little more. And so the Blues do have a busy schedule in in that regard. Um, you know, I think it it does take its toll. I mean, it's hard for me to sit here and you know uh, comprehend how much more taxing the blue schedule is going to be than let's say some of these other teams but you know believe me it takes a toll on the reporters who are covering all those games too and when you're playing four and six nights and you know we're not even (laughs) playing the games or or uh you know getting banged up or anything like that you know it's tough but you know i thought that that was an honest look at at the blues uh you know obviously it's just a you know uh, a system that Dom has where he punches in a bunch of numbers and and uh, it spits out what uh, what he thinks should be a projected point total on the season uh, for the Blues. And, you know, it wasn't as uh, lofty as, as probably some people are thinking with this team because of the, all the uh, additions. But, uh, you know, he makes some points throughout the article that, hey, um, you got a goaltending question here with uh, Jake Allen and and uh, losing Carter Hutton, what's the goaltending going to be like? And so I think, you know, Dom's numbers show that, uh, you know, while the offense may not, might not be what a lot of people think it's going to be when you talk about three deep uh, on some of these lines and, and maybe even four deep, um, you know, they're going to score some goals. But he's still wondering how Jake Allen and, and you know, the tandem of him and uh, Chad Johnson will be able to handle the season. Jake certainly had his hiccups uh, the past couple of years in those middle months, as you know, Jeff. And, and, and so I think that's where the Blues lost out on some uh, points in terms of Dom's projection for the season, which yeah, I believe it what was it, around 94 or so. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so um, so some people may not agree with that, but I feel like you look at the comment section to Dom's article and a lot of people, like you said, felt like, hey, here's a pretty good, honest look. Uh, I know that uh, your time's valuable. You got some some kids to pick up here soon, so um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll keep the rest of the questions short for you. I know you yeah, talked no, we'll for you've... a few more if you want to want to do them. Okay, well, cool. That sounds good to me. So I wanted to ask you real quick then about the power play. I think it was something you even mentioned in that article. Uh, Mike Yo is is kind of always had a, a more rough power play, even in his time in Minnesota. Uh, have you seen or heard anything in the last couple of days, or even over the summer? that uh, proves, obviously, player change, but that proves that that might change this season. Yeah, nothing that's really going to satisfy any listeners and say, (laughs) you know, hey, they're working on this, and, you know, now they're going to be 12th in the league this year. You know, it's hard to say until they get going and playing the games. I mean, we've seen a little bit of power play practice, but, uh, you know, not too much. And and, uh, the biggest thing all we can talk about right now is the personnel change. I mean, you've got Ryan O'Reilly, who, you know, won the most draws in NHL history last year, uh, and he finished first in the league 60%. You know, obviously a lot of those come on the power play, so you're going to be starting with the puck a lot. And then also we saw how good Braden Shen was last year on the power play, and Mike Yo admitted there's a chance, you know, you think about separating those two, two different units. Mike Yo said, you know, those two could play on the on the number one unit. And then you look at, uh, you got Tarasenko, you probably see Alex Petrangelo there, uh, Jaden Schwartz. So, you know, we said it last year, the personnel is there, and they've added to it. So that's why it was so tough to understand why the power play couldn't be better last year. Um, you know, so is it the scheme? Is it the guys not finishing? What is it? Uh, well, they've had an entire offseason to analyze it and, and, and bring in these new people and, and, and see how they can utilize them. So, 
you know, it's got to be better. That's what Doug Armstrong's answer to my question was the other day. We did the Q&A, and I asked him about the power play. He said it can't be any worse. <laughs> um, but in, until they uh, start playing some games and we see where they're putting guys and, and how these guys are, are working together, I just don't think I have a solid answer for you. Um, you've talked with Robbie Fabry, another guy who could really kind of make or break that power play if uh, if he comes back and plays the way that we thought he could. Um, how does he feel, and, and how does he – look out there at camp for those that haven't made it out there yet yeah i talked to him for about 10 minutes yesterday and i'm hoping to have a story at the athletic hopefully in the next day or so uh, on robbie fabry he looks good he really looks good a couple people have made the comment alex dean being one of them that if you didn't know he's had a couple uh, knee surgeries and, and missed uh, 18 19 months basically then uh you know if you didn't somebody didn't tell you that you wouldn't know it by watching him play he, he looks explosive he looks good out there um i like the one comment from mike yo a couple days ago he said right now the skill isn't there the the clean you know uh you know lack of a better word skill it just isn't there right now what he's impressed by is robbie's uh, tenacity he's pushing through you know splitting defensemen um, using his body fighting in the corner he's not afraid to go in the corner so i think that's what has to take place first in terms of knocking off the rust and you know the skill the hands the timing all that stuff's going to come you can't expect it to be there just a couple days of training camp but you know i've been sitting out there in the lower bowl watching every single practice and and uh, for me Robbie Fabry, the way he's moving um, early on in camp, he, he looks really good. So uh, I hate to end this on a on a down note, but um, I, oh. I do want to ask you about uh, somebody that the Blues media lost, an icon, uh, just a couple weeks ago, someone I grew yeah. up absolutely uh, just idolizing with everything, every word he wrote, uh, Larry Wiggy, and I want to just kind of Leave it open-ended for you to, to say whatever you want about um, Larry Wiggy, the man and the writer. Yeah, yeah, no, um, you know, let's take this back to a rookie beat writer, myself, showing up in the press box, um, you know, 2005, and Larry was there, and he could not have been more accommodating, more welcoming, more helpful. And, of course, he had covered the league for a long, long time. I think he ended up covering, like, 35 Stanley Cup finals. Flat out amazing. Tom Timmerman's made a big push to try to get Larry Wiggy into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You know, who knows where that's going to go. Um, but uh, we're, we're making the effort to uh, to get his name out there. And, uh, you know, I go back a long ways with uh, Larry. You know, I told you earlier, Jeff, about walking in the locker room and being wide-eyed and seeing Sergei Fedorov and, and, uh, you know, being in awe. Well, I vividly remember a time when we walked into the L.A. Kings locker room. And, again, here's another time where, you know, Wayne Gretzky's on the other side of the door when you walk in. And uh, I was standing next to Larry. And uh, all of a sudden I see Wayne lift his head up, look at Larry, and say, Hey, Larry, how's it going, bud? And <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, Wayne Gretzky just said hi to Larry Wiggy. That was the coolest thing. And then the other thing is uh, when I wrote the book, 100 Things Blues Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, uh, obviously you have to do a lot of research for that book. And as part of the research, you know, you're doing Google search, you're typing in keywords, trying to find moments in, in history that you're writing about. And nine times out of ten, uh, a story by Larry would pop up. And, and so I, uh, <laughs> to his credit, I used a lot of his, his uh, good information about the games, about the memories, about the players. Uh, for my book, so I couldn't have done that without Larry. And uh, I did uh, attend Larry's funeral, and uh, you know it was it was a tough night that night. Uh, basically, 
in terms of uh, the writing community, the media community, you know, a legend, especially here in St. Louis. And, and uh, you know, last thing I'll say is Larry just wasn't well-known in St. Louis, even though he was uh, sporting news and later did a little bit for Fox and such. Um, you know, back in the day, he was one of the handful of guys that people around the National Hockey League read. And so I think, uh, you know, he, he's a guy who you just mentioned the name Larry Wiggy. And you'll have 15 Hall of Famers say, oh, he was one of the best. So, um, you know, condolences to the Wiggy family. We got to see a few of them that night at the uh, the funeral. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely never forget Larry. He's a guy who, you know, helped me get started and, and couldn't have been more helpful uh, throughout. Well, there's anything Let's Go Blues Radio can do to, to help with that Hockey Hall of Fame push. Uh, we're 100% behind it because um, I, I agree. That's, that's a place he definitely belongs. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Thanks for letting me uh, talk about Larry for a little bit there. Of course. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, again, this is uh, this has been a, a great about hour conversation we've had here. Uh, closes up the Talking Blues Summer Interview Series. But I want to uh, go ahead and give you a little bit of time to tell people, I mean, there's a lot of things you could tell them, but where they can read, uh, where everything you write, uh, where they can follow you on social media, where they can find your book. Uh, go ahead and lay it all out there for them. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, Theathletic.com, and if you are not a subscriber, and, uh, you know, they had a sale recently, but they have sales all the time, you know, 30 40% off the subs- subscription rate, you know, it works out to about $40, $45 a year for the subscription. Um, you know, people that I've talked to, you know, they, they love the coverage because not only do you get the St. Louis Blues, but you get – a writer like myself in every city. And so you are boots on the ground writer in every city reading the guy in, you know, Chicago, Calgary, New York Rangers who covers the team on a regular basis. Plus you get the Pierre Lebruns, Craig Custances, Scott Burnsides, all those guys, uh, Corey Pronman that does the prospect stuff. Um, so a ton of NHL coverage, you know, for what amounts to be about four or five bucks a month. Um, so athletic.com. And the best part about it is, you create your own feed. So let's say you were born in uh, New York and you're a Giants football fan for whatever reason. You're a uh, L.A. Laker basketball fan and you're a St. Louis Blues hockey fan. You can create your feed to bring those teams and their stories straight to your phone, and that's all you'll see if that's all you want to see. So that's kind of the cool concept uh, with The Athletic. And then, uh, you know, I'd I'd, I'd mention the book we just – Received them in the mail a couple of days ago, hot off the presses. It's Bernie Federico's autobiography. It's called uh, Bernie Federico, My Blues Note. It uh, officially is released October 16th, coming out. So Bernie Federico tells his life story. And I'll give you a little bit of a, uh, uh, <laughs> a preview here is um, his relationship with Brian Sutter, how close they were early on in his career, and what happened to that relationship a lot of people know and and have probably heard over the years that you know they aren't as close as they used to be and bernie tells you why in the book so i think that's pretty interesting you know not to mention tons and tons and tons of other stories inside those 300 pages and then on twitter uh at jp rutherford so you know i try to be at blues practice every day i put out links to my stories and you can find that stuff on Twitter. So Jeff, uh, you know, before you wrap up here, thanks for having me. I hope I didn't lose any listeners for you, uh, you know, talking about growing up and learning how to become a 
a hockey writer or you know talking about uh, what's going on at training camp or how to follow me on Twitter. I hope I didn't lose you any listeners. Oh, if I didn't lose anyone with Korak, I'm not losing anyone with you. <laughs> <laughs> Beating up on Lou, huh? Oh, you know, he he deserves it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, he does. We trade barbs. <laughs> well, Jeremy, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and coming on the show. No problem, buddy. Well, again, I want to thank Jeremy Rutherford for coming on. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford, R-U-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D. So that's going to do it for the Talking Blues Summer Interview Series. We've had a lot of guests. It's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I really look forward to getting back to our usual shows, but uh, this was this was an interesting little project I gave myself this summer, and I just I really ran with it and had a great time. And again, judging by our listener numbers, you guys enjoyed it too. So I do want to thank you right now for participating. Those that have uh, retweeted, uh, shared on Facebook. And then obviously, uh, just for listening, um, downloading the shows, listening at letsgobluesradio.com. It means a lot. It really does. It shows that uh, the city and, and, well, people outside the city, too, are just excited about blues hockey. And uh, that's why we started this show. We want more people involved in the sport. It's the best sport there is. So to get more people involved in any way is what we set out to do, and it seems that that is working. Uh, We want more coverage in in St. Louis of the Blues, and that's what we're doing here. So thank you very much for uh, allowing us to do that, for being a part of it, and uh, again, for everybody who's reached out to me or Kurt or Bill over the years, and and again, especially during this summer, uh, really appreciate those who have reached out and said something about how much they've enjoyed this series. I'll admit, when I started, I did not think that uh, anybody would want to hear this except myself (laughs) because I just thought, you know, we're not going to really be talking a bunch of blues with all these people. It's just going to be kind of talking about them and their careers and their lives. And, you know, after a couple episodes, who's going to, you know, I mean, really, is there going to be a large audience wanting to hear that? And uh, I'm really happy to hear that there are because I have been interested in all of these people that I've interviewed. A couple of them I know, a couple of them I never talked to before. And, uh, and it's just been really cool being able to get to know them, know their backstory, where they came from, and uh, just how they got involved in the sport. So want to run down it really quick, all of my previous guests in order of their appearance. First of all, our first episode, we had Andy Strickland, so a big thanks to him for coming on and helping out. And then, of course, everyone else. STL Blues History on Twitter, Brad Lee, Jim Cromer, Joe Fresta Jr., Jason Martin, Mr. Blues Hat on Twitter, Dan P. Kelly, Zipra Zeppa, Lou Korak, Chris Kerber, Stephen Ground, Ian Peters, Donnie Fandango, Smash, Gene Ackman, Lance DeScott, A.J. Horn, Brian Light, Jeff Jones, Tom Calhoun, Steve Albers, and Jeremy Rutherford. Uh, if you're wanting to follow any of those people on Twitter or even maybe on Facebook, I will uh, list them out, so make sure you check me out over at jponder94. A lot of podcasters in there, a lot of radio personalities, uh, you know, former sportscasters. I'll get all their Twitter handles in there, so that way you can uh, you can give them a follow. I also want to thank 
the potential guests who we just could not work out a time to have them on, unfortunately. People say with hockey, you know, over the summer, you know, July, August, you're not busy, right? You know, these hockey coaches, these players and former players. Well, guess what? We are. All of us are. Uh, We're busy people, just like anyone else. So I want to thank uh, Cam Jansen, Art Lippo, and Angela Sharp, all three people that uh, wanted to come on the show, but we just could not fit them in, which, again, was something I did not think I would have an issue with. I I didn't think we would... I thought it would be the opposite problem. We wouldn't be able to get enough people who would want to come on. So it's been really cool having all these people on that have enjoyed the show and uh, wanted to be a part of it. So, again, thank you to Cam, Art, and Angela. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't get you guys on, but uh, we I do appreciate you attempting to. And, and, again, we'll try to have you on, hopefully, during the season at some point. I also want to give one more big shout-out to my co-hosts, Kurt Price and Bill Day. Uh, it was really cool how they were just totally fine with me overtaking the show for the summer. Uh, so I want to thank them for that. Also, one more big thanks to Tom Ackerman over at KMOX. I'm sure if you listen to KMOX, you've heard his name mentioned before. Uh, There was some behind-the-scenes stuff that uh, I was trying to figure out with a couple episodes, and he uh, actually reached out to me and and, uh, offered his helping hand. So big thanks to Tom Ackerman for that. That was very cool. Did not have to do that. And again, even though I've already mentioned them earlier, I do want to thank Let's Go Blues writers Smash and Gene Ackman for this wonderful song you've heard every week. And of course, uh, I want to thank the late Johnny Johnson um, because that that piano solo is is something that I always enjoy hearing when I edit the show. But make sure you stay tuned to us on Twitter and Facebook for updates on the new Let's Go Blues song that Smash and Gene Ackman are working on. Again, no news after last week, just that they've been working on it. Any more news I get, I will be passing along on our future shows as well as on my social media channels. But Jeff, how can how can we follow you on social media? Well, listener, let me tell you. You can follow the show Twitter at LGB Radio. You can also follow the hosts of the show. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. That's Kurt with a C. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note, and myself, Jeff Ponder, is at jponder94. So again, next week, Kurt and Bill will be returning, and we get back to our regular weekly live shows, which is very exciting because that means hockey is back. Make sure you follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook for when each show is recorded. Uh, if you want to go to letsgobluesradio.com, there's uh, links all over the place on how you can follow us on all of those channels, so go ahead and do that. During our live shows, for anyone who's never listened to our regular shows before, we welcome listener participation. So at the end of the episode, we ask if anybody would like to come on and join us. So if you have anything you want to sound off about during the season, we welcome it. Uh, so just stay tuned to us on social media and watch our live shows and you can be on the next one, for, for all we know. I do want to point out, we don't always fit enough time for that. So uh, don't be upset if there's a week where we don't get to the listeners, but we do try to get you included in every episode. Uh, and remember, if you don't want to listen to the live shows, just if you as you've been downloading these, you can always podcast after the episode airs. So uh, the following day, Kurt will do the editing, and uh, the episode will go up. 
don't worry about it. You don't have to listen live if you don't want to see our beautiful mugs every episode. So our next show should be next Wednesday, September 26th at 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Uh, that'll be our kind of our season preview show, um, probably more the next week, but we'll definitely be talking about the preseason, uh, any roster moves, anything that's happened. So make sure you tune in for that one. That'll be our first real regular show to kick off the new season. And again, if you've never watched us before or listened to the show, I uh, I love doing it. Uh, Kurt and Bill are just two great guys to work with. So I uh, look forward to having them back every week as we discuss St. Louis Blues hockey. So again, that'll do it. I appreciate everyone tuning in all summer. I'll have to figure out what I'm going to do next summer because uh, this was a lot of fun and, and I'm not going to want to just fold it up next summer. So we'll see. Stay tuned. We've got a year to decide. Nine months. So thank you for listening. Thanks again to Jeremy Rutherford for coming on this week. And I will talk to you next week along with Kurt and Bill for the next episode of Let's Go Blues Radio. You dig St. Louis hockey, you got to bleed blue.